Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. Glad you are taking some time to join us, both myself and my co-host, we are both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. We spend our weekdays helping folks like yourself and uh, broadcast our program on the weekends to be your financial advisors on the air. Yes. Or via your head, AirPod, EarPods, However you consume to. this. Yeah. So, so anyway, glad you're here. Um, we love taking calls and, and answering questions and talk about what's going on in the with the economy and financial planning issues and all that stuff. I know. I haven't seen you in a while. Talked on the <laughs> phone a couple times. I, well, I, well, I, uh, before we dig in, um, your take on a uh, Fitch downgrading. Um, uh, La- this list last week. Yeah, debt. I thought, you know, it's interesting. Normally they broadcast this sort of thing for weeks in advance, and then they come out and do it, and there was nothing. But when you look at the amount of debt in the last four years, I mean, we went from roughly twenty trillion of debt to what are we thirty one trillion today? Thirty two trillion. A lot. And our deficit spending is just—it's through the roof. I mean, it just—it just. Yes. So, you know, what was most surprising? Not that they did it. I mean, that didn't surprise me at all. It's that um, the lack of play it got in the press. I didn't really see it in the press. And I remember last, when, when was it in, when they last? Uh, that was Standard & Poor's before. Matt might have. A little bigger, maybe more, more respected than, than Fitch. Yeah, I would think. Yes. I don't know. The markets had a little bit of sell not much. I mean, the markets are on a tear this year. Who would have oh. figured? If you, Look, it, as an investor, it's good every once in a while to just pause and take a look and say, how did I feel about things six months ago? Right, because if you started this year, no one was would have predicted that the market would be up roughly twenty percent. Yes, in that neighborhood somewhere. Right? Not certainly not me. Certainly not me. Then again, I try not to make many predictions because I, it's impossible to figure out which way the markets are going to go. But here we are at a time we haven't entered a recession, which Evan thought we were going to have a recession. It's still anemic growth. Uh, Wall Street earnings aren't exactly. Right. Matter of fact, we've got a decline in earnings year over year of the broad S and P five hundred companies. And yet, uh, stock prices are up dramatically, and, and interest rates have gone up, right? Which which means that there's an asset class that is competing, an alternative. that an alternative that isn't that isn't bad relative to what it was a year and a half ago or two years in yeah, terms. You can of, get five percent in a CD now. Yes, right. So a year ago, when people think I can't afford to just have five percent, I'm gonna I got to put my money somewhere where it's gonna work. You've had those conversations with people, right? Yes. Even money that they should keep absolutely in the bank, money market account, or whatever. Like it can't stay here. I'm like, well, like, investments yeah, are based on timelines. <laughs> but here we are. The market's way up. Um, and who could have predicted it? Especially in light of all the things that inflation. Well, it's tamed slightly. It seems to have tamed. Slightly, um, depending the longer upon the path, the longer I'm in this industry, the more I realize that the secret to success in investing is not predicting where the markets are going to go or even what asset class to own at a particular time. It's having a long, great long term strategy and sticking with with it regardless of what the market is telling you and the media is telling you and your emotions are yelling at you. Yeah, through thick and thin. And it's hard. When you own something that's out of favor, small cap, value stock, whatever it might be, something, some, it's really difficult to continue to own that. Yes. Actually, it isn't for, obviously, I'm in the industry, so I must believe this. Um, it's, it's hard for me to oftentimes articulate it to people that it will be okay regardless of how bad it looks. If you have a well-diversified portfolio. If you don't have a well-diversified portfolio. Well, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? And there was a story. This was in the Wall Street Journal this last week. Beneficent, a company called Beneficent. I mean, it just has a great name. <laughs> right. How could you bat. go wrong? 
Beneficent. $2 billion default. There were warnings everywhere but to the investors. And this was... Um, <laughs> they, they would get money from smaller investors and say they're going to go buy stakes in private equity funds. But did they? A little bit. <laughs> but here's what I loved most about this is that it it recruited a cast of notable directors, including two formal federal, two former Federal Reserve Bank presidents and legendary Cowboys quarterback Roger Staubach. Well, whatever Staubach's doing, obviously it's going to be a great investment, right? I know. He played football. <laughs> it's a great quarterback. He must have know what he's doing on investment. And it's the class. It, to me, it's it looked it looked no different than your typical Ponzi scheme. Yeah, taking in more money, millions, spending money. Millions went to his fifteen hundred acre East Texas ranch and his personal travel via private jet. Tiffany Kice. and they did this by having he sold bonds through brokers. Yes. And there, are, it's here's the thing you, you read about this again, where people they were selling them through commission brokers, commission brokers. They'd get some sort of commission on these things. But you're reading the stories again about people who lost the majority of their life savings. Oh, I did read one where the 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 guy put four hundred thousand dollars, and he said it was eighty percent of his life savings in there. And I thought to myself, what? First of all, what did well? What even the worst commission salesperson? Why would they do? Well, I know why they would do it to you, um, but take responsibility a little bit for your own decision making. That you're going to put eighty percent into a single bond holding because someone told you how great it was, or because the yield was higher than anything else on the marketplace. There's a reason yields are higher. Don't get attracted to, to yield. Tell clients all the time. Well, this one pays seven percent. And this one pays five. Why would I own the thing that had 5%? Well, because the market says that they have to pay above average yields. They also raised money through a SPAC. Which well, is naturally, everyone did. Down 85% from when it went out. It, it, and I, so I read this and it got me, just reminded me like, the, first of all, a lot of everyday investors can't tell good from bad. That is correct. But- when when someone's steering you to a, buying one an individual security tied up in one small strategy controlled by one organization, I mean, you should have a very small portion well, of your net worth there. The reality, Scott, most of our regular listeners are shaking their head right now saying, well, that makes sense, but why are Scott and uh, Pat talking about that? Because we know that already. Our listeners know that already. Well, that's probably fair, right? I know. I mean, it's but it's you know so well. So that's an extreme case, yeah. Right, extreme case. But you hear all the time people will invest money with some broker that's their their compliance record is a disaster, and that's all public information. You can go online and see what kind of customer complaints somebody's had. Go to broker check. Yeah, yeah. If they've if they've had uh, any sort of fines levied against them or been censored in any way whatsoever. Get all, all that history, but you see people investing with these folks, even though the the most basic of due diligence whatever. broker check, broker check, broker check. Yeah, Google. And then I think most firms, I think you have to have it on your website now. Uh, you have, you have to have a to link it? to it yes. so you can check. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyone you're doing business with, of any sort of, if they're licensed in any sort, they have to have, um, they have to have you, it. You can get your, get the whole thing, but I don't know. It's, you read these things and it's, um, I mean, here's a guy flying around in a private jet as he's... Is he fleecing How do you people? sleep at night? What do you mean? I sleep fine. Oh, you're not asking me how I sleep at night? How's this guy sleep at night? I mean, I, I've been in this... We, we've both been in this business three decades. We've led people through bear markets. I have, I have I sleepless nights when I know I'm doing the right thing 
when people's account balances are going down, and I think those people, my clients' faces appear in my my. Oh, of course right? they do. And I think about this particular client and that particular client. And this particular, I think about them, and it, it, well, as I tell the advisors, if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be a good advisor. If you didn't have compassion or empathy for your clients, you wouldn't be a good advisor. This guy obviously doesn't have that. He doesn't have that gene. He's just, it's a gene. I don't know. Is, is it genetic? a gene? Is it a genetic thing? It's not his fault. It's genes. It's how he was born, Pat. Okay. You can't blame him. All right. Okay, we're not going to go there. I don't know. His moral compass was... We didn't have one. Yes. 833-99-WORTH, if you want to join us, would love to take your call. Or you can um, email us um, at questions at moneymatters.com. And let's start off here. We're talking to Pandu. Pandu, you're with Allworth Money Matters. Hello, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? How are you guys doing? Fantastic. What can we do for you? Sure. I have a question. Um, So my son would be going to college uh, starting this fall. Uh, It's going to cost me at least... I think it looks like close to $38,000, per year. Um, so the question that I have uh, with respect to that, uh, with respect to that, is that uh, I will be sponsoring his undergraduate education. Uh, so I have like three pots in my kitty at this point in time. So I have like uh, $15,000 uh, in my savings bank account, uh, a typical bank savings, savings account. Savings, is that 50 or 15 uh, one five. Okay. And then I have close to $45,000 in a 529, uh, in a scholarship 529 plan. Okay. And I have $20,000 in treasury bonds, um, which were invested probably uh, last year and then this year. So basically, they, are, they, are, they have been invested in less than a year. And what are the maturities um, on those bonds? Like six months, 12 months, five uh, year? I, I, those are, these are the T bonds, I think, which has like perpetual, like it's like 30 years or something. I'm not sure. It, uh, it's, those are the, I, I think those are the. Are these the savings bonds you're referring to? Y- yes. In the, in the Treasury Direct, where you purchase oh, the bonds, right? Treasury Direct. So yeah. the Treasury bills probably, but you don't know the maturity link? Yeah, I I don't I don't remember it, but I I'm definitely it's like I, I my my understanding is like like thirty years or fifteen years kind of thing. It's, it, it was not definitely like a okay. years, ten years kind of thing. All right, well we'll try to answer the question, but that's a bit of information that would be helpful. Yeah, um, that, yeah, that bad one. Okay, so what's your question for us? Yes, so basically, I have these three pots where I can dip my money in and uh, uh, take the money out. So. I wanted to know what are guys' recommendation in terms of which one should be touched first. Uh, and ultimately, I have to touch all three of them at one point in time. But to start off with, yeah. uh, based on how the economy or the market is doing, uh, I just want to get your opinion uh, and like uh, yeah, expert opinion so that I can follow that. Okay. Uh, how many children? Sure I'm doing the right thing. How many children do you have? I have two. And what? Where's the other one? What's the other one gonna do? And the other one is a fifth grader, so I have okay, six more years time. to okay. do something. <laughs> and is the five twenty nine? Uh, is that invested in in equities, stocks? Is that or is that? So uh, yeah, uh, I moved it to a. I was it was in stocks, uh, but in, back in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, I think a couple of years back, I moved it to a principal plus interest. So it's almost like a cash. Yeah, yeah, way. perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I moved it so because I didn't want to lose money. Because, yeah. You know, you ever know how the market turns up. No, so, that was the right call yeah, because yeah. you don't know. Like, look, I remember my next door neighbor in the year 2000, late 99, um, he says, hey, Scott, do you, mind, do you mind if I ask you a financial question? And he had his one child, his daughter was going to go to college, expensive uh, private. He had, I forget how much money, but he had a lot of money in his 529. It was almost all in, in stocks. He says, what do you think? The market's going well, but what do you think I should do? It's like... You're going to be spending these dollars in the next few years. Your timeline's very short. Get it out of the market. 
and that then that was right before the dot com you know blew up and oh. the markets were down. Now had he had had his daughter been going ten years before she went to school, it would have made sense to continue his approach. But um, but nobody knows what's going to happen. So I think that was the right call getting it to cash a couple of years before your kid goes to college. So it's going to cost you, you say 40,000 a year. Um, is this student, is your son taking any uh, debt on student loans on? Uh, no, uh, we are not eligible based on the salary. And so is your, so it's going to cost you about twice what you've got saved, right? Cause you've got about, about $80,000 saved. So is yes. the plan to, um, pay for the rest out of your current earnings, current uh, wages and whatnot? Yeah, right, right. That's my plan. So, I mean, uh, I think I have, I think at least I, as, you, as you said, right, I, I think I have a plan for the next two years. And within the next two years, I'm hoping that I will be able to save something. But if, if in the worst case, I will go for a loan kind of stuff at this point in time. But then, um, yeah, I have some savings uh, back in India. I, I'm some, sorry, I'm from India, so I have some bank savings back in India. Uh, it's not pretty huge, but at least I would be able to cover at least like a twenty thousand dollars kind of thing in in his third year. That that that's my that okay. was, that's my backup plan for yeah. his third year. But I, for the first two years, I think I have enough to. I think I think I have enough to uh, not to take a loan. I I would use the five twenty nine plan. Okay. I would use the 529 plan. For all of it. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, but the only question I have is those is your treasuries. Like, are they treasury bills that mature in the next three to 12 months, or are they treasury bonds that mature yeah. 10 years, 20 years down? I seriously doubt they're longer than 20 years. <laughs> yeah, longer than I, 10 I years. I think it's but. the T-bonds. It's not bills. I don't remember. Because I was told that those are the common... Typically, like uh, folks like me, usually go to Treasury Direct to get. Uh, give me one second. I can probably log into Treasury okay. Direct and see okay. what type of bonds it is. All right, we can look at that. Yeah, I just actually combined um, um, of my four children. There were some left in the five twenty nines. I combined them all into one. Uh, You're allowed to do that. What once a year? You're allowed to change the beneficiary. I believe once a year. And you combined all the accounts for your four kids. Yes. Uh, um, there were two left. We have uh, so we had four of them. Two of them were empty. One had a little bit of money, and one had a lot of money. And, and my daughter starts law school next week. Um, have you seen me on Highway 5 in a Ford Edge towing a U-Haul trailer? <laughs> <laughs> Driving Are you driving Sacramento. down with your daughter? Uh, I don't know if she's coming with me or not. I haven't gotten there yet. What do you mean? She she said that she's not quite certain her timeline of getting there, but this... this so trailer. you might be driving her car in U-Haul and she might be flying down? It, it, <laughs> it may happen like that. Hey, I have Dads and daughters. <laughs> All right, uh... <laughs> Uh, Pendu, so, so, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I just have been sorry. I was confusing myself. It was a serious eye savings bond. Okay, okay perfect. perfect. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so I'd, those. Um, you can go to cash anytime you want on those. Yeah, but then don't you lose some interest the first th for three months or something like that? Yeah, you do. I would use those last. Yeah. Okay. I'd use those last. I'd use that 529 first. I'd use all of the 529 first. Okay, okay. Yeah. So five two line, and then yeah, my savings bank, and last would be the. Uh, uh, I, I would do it in that, in that in that manner. Um, is your son going to work in college? Uh, I I don't know. Uh, he he doesn't have any plans at this point in time. But, uh, he's going to uh, University of California Irvine uh, for mechanical engineering. I'm not sure <laughs> if he'll have bandwidth. Yeah, that is a that's a that's it. a tough school and a yeah. tough major. Yeah, and he'd taken recreation or something. He would have. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> he got a marketing degree like the rest of us. Yeah. Hey, appreciate appreciate the call. <laughs> wish you wish you well and good luck for your son down in, uh, in UC Irvine. Yeah, I remember I had some friends who were rec majors in college. I'm like, what do you do? I don't know. I think they. I don't know. I I, I don't. I haven't didn't keep up to see what they're up to now, but. 
I just remember the time thing, a rec major. Yeah. You really need to go to college to learn how to <laughs> recreate? <laughs> Have fun? Isn't college all one? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Right. Um, you know it's interesting. You know, this, I was thinking about um, maybe this last color. These, it was how many months ago? It was maybe a year ago when people were pushing these I bonds, right? The savings, um, savings I bonds. Yeah, and you could only put, there was a limit on There's how much a money. limit. So it's for good savers that it was like 10 grand or something. Whatever the limit is. Yeah. Excuses for not knowing what it is, but it wasn't, I think it was a little boring now, but it's, wasn't that significant? But it, it but it, it, it appeared attractive at the time, right? Because it was, it was yielding like 9%. It just so happened to be this window when inflation was high. But you lock your money up. These savings bonds are locked up for many years, and then you have a prepayment penalty if you to take early, early withdrawal penalty. Yeah, you've got to pay a penalty on it. And so I think where the market is now, we're in a time when interest rates are much higher. The Fed's continue to increase short-term interest rates, and the inflation rate uh, declines. So there's a good chance that if you own those, that the rates going forward are going to be less than what you what you can receive just in the bank account or in a in a and it's just a treasury bill. A treasury. It just happened to be that. By the way, just for the listeners out there, this happened to me this last week. Uh, I saw an ad from the banking institution that I bank at that had an interest plus account. So Interest plus? It was interest plus. Ooh, and I it, like the plus. Everyone wants the plus. <laughs> and it was in checking. It was in checking. So I'm like, I read the qualifications. I go to their website. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense for me. So I call the bank. And I said, this is your bank you currently deal with. I currently deal with. And I said, hey, I see this interest plus thing you guys are advertising. Uh, is mine in that account? And they said, no, but it should be. And I said, well, why isn't it? And they said, well, because we don't do it automatically. You have to call and ask for the better deal. I said, well, I'm here. I'm asking for a better deal. And the reason I bring this up is, had I not seen that ad, I haven't been in a branch in who knows how long. If I hadn't seen that ad in a general publication, I would have never known about it. And I had best been telling my my wife um, two weeks before, I'm like, these interest rates, I don't care how little money you have in the bank. The interest rates are so low relative to what you could get e even in a three-month or six-month CD that you should really pay attention to it now. So the reason I'm Agreed. sharing I'm sharing that is go to your bank's website if you've got a regular checking account and see if they've enhanced it that pays a higher interest rate. So this one has a minimum balance that you have to keep and if it blows drops below that they charge you $15 a month. But just go to the website and look to see if there's an offering for any of the services that you're using now from your financial institution. Not only that, just on cash assets in general. Yes. Because um, these banks, <laughs> they're quick to lower. I mean, the reality is banks, some banks are kind of struggling right now because they've got uh, really low, they've loaned out money at super low rates that, and, and now they're having to pay higher rates for deposits. Sometimes it's inverted, but so they're trying to, Pay as little as possible, as any other business does, right? Like yes. You know, <laughs> trying to maximize profits, funny. Um, but they're super slow at raising rates. Scott, not only that, they're trying to protect their balance sheets so much. I was talking to a gentleman that works for a large, large bank in their mortgage division. They laid off almost all of their loan originators that work with Jumbo Loans. Loans over the... Fannie yeah. Mae and Freddie Mac really? limit because they There's don't want no demand for it. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with the demand. It's their uh, lack of ability to actually lend the money because it uh, will put Was it, it first Republic. Cause they were the ones big in that space, right? Uh, no, it's another large, large bank, but um, that's what happened to first Republic. That's right? exactly what happened to first Republic. But the reason they're doing it is because they're trying to protect their balance sheet. So they don't actually want to lend out this money. They'd rather just broker transactions between uh, agency debt yeah. and, uh, the consumer because because the conventional mortgages get packaged and resold and this stuff we talked about it when it happened when first republic and silicon valley bank this will hurt small businesses and local economies with the lack of lending because people these small banks are now trying to protect their balance sheets it will have an effect by the way on a, a cash alternative 
if you've got a brokerage account, you can buy, there's ETFs that invest in treasury bills. So a simple, one simple way, instead of monitoring your T-bills and buying one for 90 days and then worrying about it maturing or buying a CD and then having to wait till it matures, you can buy an ETF that just, they own treasury bills and they cost almost nothing to, yes. in the ETF. And it's a simple way to... And you don't have to worry about rolling them every three months You don't have to worry about rolling it. You might... I mean, you, you give up a little bit of... Because there's no maturity date on them, they continue to roll. They can fluctuate but, in value a bit. But if you're b rolling your treasuries anyway, you're going to see that regardless. Yeah, but people are funny when they have bonds. They, they say, well, it doesn't really matter as long as they hold the maturity. I haven't lost anything. You can say, you can tell you yourself can that. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> you can tell you. The market value is the market value. You can tell regardless. yourself. You're going to get all your money back, but yes. It's still uh, worth something different today. Yes, the opportunity cost is still there, whether you want to recognize it or not. Yeah. We're taking a quick break. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to All Worth Money Matters. Scott Hansen. And Pat McLean. Thanks for sticking back with us here. Um, oh, let's take this call, then I want to talk about this. I don't, did you see this change um, to high-income earners can't contribute as much to their 401k in the, under the Roth? Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that in a bit. But let's, um, let's go to Pennsylvania and talk with Charles. Charles, you're with All Worth Money Matters. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How you doing? Not bad, thanks. Uh, so, Pat, I have a huge favor to ask of you, okay? Okay. Do we um, know each other? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, before I commit. Have fun with that, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, a huge favor. Well, he's from right, Pennsylvania. Well, I have lots of family in Pennsylvania, so. Uh, okay. Well, this goes back to where you were talking about the uh, Social Security benefits, the legislative risk, you know, for, you know, for higher income uh, uh, people that, you know, if you don't need the benefits, don't wait till 70 to take it because they might be reduced, you know, the legislative risk. That's right. Okay. So that makes sense. And it's something that I definitely want to do. The, the problem is that sparked a um, heated domestic debate which I need to drag you into oh, since this was your idea. Oh, I can't. I actually, <laughs> I specialize in domestic debates. <laughs> 35 years of practice. Oh, I, I'm almost an expert at losing the domestic debate. Uh, okay. so. Well, um, um, my wife did have a point, though. She's saying that, well, you know, you're expert, and that's you, uh, is assuming that a recipient, someone already getting it, will not have benefits reduced already getting it. Yes. That is In a, other words, that is even a... if you, let's say you just take it early, take it earlier than 70. Yes. And, but then, you know, you're, you're assuming that that person is already grandfathered in, correct? No. I've not had, well, here's the, the, the statute is that it, when the trust fund is depleted and goes negative, there's going to be a, an automatic across the board reduction for everybody. Correct. And that's somewhere, and, and that won't happen. Thirty-two or thirty-three, or twenty, yeah. thirty-two, twenty. Charles, they're not going to look at Charles and say, "Look, at Charles makes two hundred thousand dollars a year, and he's receiving twenty-five hundred dollars a month in Social Security benefit, and his wife is getting two twenty-five hundred dollars a month, so they're getting sixty thousand dollars a year, and he's making two hundred thousand dollars a year, and that's Charles and his wife from Pennsylvania, and then they go, but Margaret from Maryland." makes $20,000 a year and no other income and all $20,000 is social security benefit. Let's cut both of these the same percentage. We're going to cut everyone's social security by a third. And so what, what happens? They cut it by a third. So your income goes from $60,000 a year between you and your wife to $40,000 a year. Right. And the lady making twenty grand a year, her only form of income is Social Security, is going to now go to thirteen thousand dollars a year. Is that real? Is is that? Do you believe that that's how uh, it's going to happen? Do you think that our tax code would lend itself to the belief that that's how they would cut Social Security benefits? No, no, not at all. Right, and and this is precedent, by the way. This isn't that you, you know you could say, well, they've never done this. They actually have. 
but they did it in such a manner as most people probably didn't recognize it. So about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you would receive social security benefits tax-free regardless of your income. They didn't care. Then they said, okay, well, listen, individuals with incomes over $25,000 and couples with incomes over $32,000, we're going to start taxing 50% of that social security benefit as ordinary income. In fact, we're going to give it a name. We're going to call it provisional income. And we're even going to include tax-free municipal bond income in that calculation. This is called provisional income. So the next thing you know, you're getting the same as everyone else, but you're paying more taxes on it. Who are you paying taxes to? The same people that sent it to you. So is that not a degradation of your benefit? Hmm. Then gets better. They argued it wasn't because the half of your contributions came from your employer who took a tax deduction. But so did it for the people that didn't make uh, the high incomes, but they didn't. They didn't have to pay taxes. On I'm it. just that was the argument at the time. This is like an '84, I think. Yeah. Then a few years later, they said, "Wow, this seems to be working," and they said it was forty, thirty-five, thirty-six thousand dollars, something in there for individuals, um, and forty-two or forty-four thousand dollars a year for married couples that. 85% of the social security benefit was now taxed. And by the way, this wasn't, this, this had no uh, inflation adjustment on it. I mean, that number was set in stone and stays in that number today. So historically you could say, well, why would they do this? And you're like, well, they've done it twice before, right? And so every article I read about social security talks about, look, take it, the later, the better, because it's going to move by X amount of dollars. Well, it, it also ignores the fact that um, you're using other dollars to live on in, that, in the meantime. So there's, there's an opportunity cost that's lost there. But I don't see that as, as the issue. I see it as legislative risk as the issue. Look, I'm 60. My wife does not work outside of the home. As soon as she is eligible for Social Security the day, she is eligible. We will start taking her Social Security. The soon as I quit working and am eligible for Social Security, I will start Social Security. Or you're hit your normal, still working and hit your normal retirement. Or I hit my normal retirement age. And it, is okay. your is your wife listening? No. Okay. No, no, no. She, she's gonna. Does she ever listen? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> my wife doesn't either. So that's... so that's the argument behind it is this. And I see this legislative risk as being real. I mean, I don't look who who we have a progressive and I'm not arguing whether it's right or wrong. But in the United States, we have a very progressive tax rate. Extremely yes. progressive. I mean, roughly half Americans pay zero income taxes. Zero. And so it's. It, Social Security has become needs-based, right? And, the, and look, at the perversion of the tax code, it just, it's constant. I mean, what they did with Roths, you look at when they started allowing a Roth IRA and then what you could take money out for, and they've expanded it year over year over year and made it less lenient. Um, it, it, the, the idea that tax rates aren't going to change or that we're not going to move to a tax, flat tax or some other sort of consumption tax, or, tax, there are so many different things. So you're not going to know what those are, but you want to build a strategy that actually takes into account changes in your environment, including the tax environment. Sure. And if you don't need the money, look, Chris Christie, Mr. Republican, came out when he was running for office, I don't know how many times ago. Um, He's back, I think. He, he is back. <laughs> He's back. He he was the one that even suggested that incomes over $100,000 Social Security benefits should be titrated yeah, it's down. Yeah, it's on both sides of the aisle, that one. So, hey, appreciate the call, Charles. All right, thank you. All right. Yeah, thank and Pat, I, there's a couple more things in talking about tax. I think this is, um, I, I think we kind of beat the, the Social Security <laughs> drum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, But look, here's um, just in the last couple of weeks but who doesn't love listening to the history of social security taxation scott so this is this applies to you if you are uh 50 and older and you're making catch-up provisions to your 401k in other words you're putting in 
you're putting in more than 22.5 a year because you're over age 50, you can do catch up. So if you're over age 50 and working, you can contribute an extra 7,500 bucks into your 401k. But starting next year, <laughs> this is going so, so crazy. If your income's more than 145,000, if it was the previous year, your W-2 income was more than 145,000, that catch up cannot go into the pre-tax 401k. It has to go to the after-tax. So Congress, someone, it would be interesting to know who came up with this concept and threw it in whatever bill it was, right? So, so you're making more than 145000 a year, they say, on this catch-up, you're not allowed to take a tax deduction on your 401k. It has to go into the Roth. You're looking at me because the cost of compliance alone is ridiculous. That's, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's just, look. So, uh, so here we go. So as an example, New York State Deferred Compensation Board. They have 2,200 local employers that are all part of this board. Only 1,200 um, uh, 1, do not use the Roth. And they, but by next year, they're supposed to. And a lot of them say, we can't. Our systems aren't structured for that. And like, we need more time. Even Fidelity. Fidelity has almost 25,000 corporate 401k clients. Almost 25,000 plans they've got out there. How some, many have up Some have two participants. Some have 20,000 or whatever. 30% lack a Roth feature. Yes. This is, this is what we're worried about as a country. This is what legis. This is an argument why we should not have full-time legislators. Okay, but <laughs> it is. So we never know what's going to... My, my yeah, the point is this is a change in tax code that came out of the blue. And quite often in people... And who was it designed to tax? The wealthy. The wealthy. Only. That was well, 100%. Some would argue that $145,000 isn't necessarily wealthy. Depends on where you live. Correct. That, and there's no... This doesn't... Makes there's no, no difference on this. Whether you live in, uh, in San Jose or you live in... in uh, Timbuktu. Bakersfield or whatever. Timbuktu. Well, let's go... <laughs> Huh? Not Bakers. You got to go outside of California. I, well, I realized that after I said that. <laughs> no. But I didn't, couldn't think of a city quick enough. <laughs> Where's a really low income, low cost city? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. You, you get the point. But, uh, but the, here's the interesting thing about that. When you think about it, a lot of people, they're in the 50s is their highest earnings years. They might even accumulate millions of dollars in savings, but by the time they retire, Typically, their income is going to be lower for those that are in high incomes because they're at the top of their career. That's right. They're focused on, on like, we got to make it happen. Oftentimes, a spouse who had stayed home says, I'm going back in the workplace. We've got to save for retirement. So now you've got two couples both working a lot at their highest incomes. It's sometimes the, the highest income they'll ever have. So it, it's odds are it's the highest tax bracket many families are going to be in. And they lose that. They lose that. And, deduction. And if you're residing in a state like New York or Connecticut or California where tax rates are super high and you're thinking, as soon as I retire, I'm going to go to Nevada or Florida or Texas or whatever yeah. tax-free state. By the way, it's going to be detrimental to you. I said de deduction. It isn't a deduction. It's just a pre-tax contribution. Yeah, exactly. But what, 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 to, to what to what? And end? we also just saw um, the change in, in beneficiary IRAs. You used to be able to stretch them out over your lifetime. Now it's over 10 years. So you did all this planning and strategizing. Oh, do you remember all the workshops on the the stretch IRAs that were offered in our industry? Oh, uh, in our industry. Yeah, in our yeah. industry. I was going to say, I don't remember doing any of those. No, we it's didn't do one, but they were offered in our industry, like how to actually make uh, your clients' IRAs last forever. Yes. Well, they took that away from us. They did. And so tax law changes. And Congress, who... who who knows what they're up to next? They don't know what they're up to next, <laughs> right? But it, like, ideally, you want to come into retirement with a diversified tax strategy as well, not relying upon one thing or the other. So let's uh, let's continue on. Let's talk to Martha. Martha, you're with Allworth Money Matters. Good morning. How are you this morning? We are wonderful. Thank you. Good. Um, I have a long-term care question. Okay. okay. Um, apparently I have two policies. 
Um, one policy is on is unlimited, and I don't have to pay premiums because of a spousal rider when my husband passed away. And the second policy, apparently there was some kind of um, uh, settlement made on it, um, and they're giving me coverage options, what to do with my policy on this settlement that they made. Okay. Um, how much on your and, first? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. Go ahead. On the first policy, how much uh, monthly benefit is there on that? Um, it's almost three hundred and forty dollars a day. And for what period of time will that pay for a year, two years, lifetime? Uh, that is unlimited. And uh, what is the? That's nice. Uh, and, and it kicks in right away. There's no waiting period before it starts paying uh, the three forty. No, there's a ninety day waiting period. Ninety days. Yes. Okay. <laughs> And then uh, tell us about the other policy. Okay. The other policy that I have to make the decision on is um, a total lifetime benefit of $203,399 and a benefit period of two years, 30-day waiting, 5% um, inflation, daily benefit of two, almost $300 a month, uh, a day. I'm sorry. Pat, do you know, will insurance companies pay concurrently? I don't know. Well, you're not going to have $640 yeah. a day in expenses. What's the rest of your financial situation look like? Like how much monthly uh, pension do you receive? Uh, I have about $4 million in portfolio um, retirement. Okay. And including so, real estate. Including real estate. And, and how's your health? Excluding real estate. How much do you have in real estate? Um, about 1 million. Including your home? Yes. How's your health relative to your colleagues, other people your age? I'd say pretty good. Okay. So I'm going to make some assumptions here for the rest of the listeners. We're located in Sacramento, California, which is the state capital of uh, California. And there are lots of, uh, retirees that worked for the state of California. I assume that you worked for the state of California at one point in time and that the class action was against the long-term care policy that they had. Is that correct? No, I'd never worked for the state. <laughs> I'm completely wrong. <laughs> I'm completely wrong because we've received. So tell the, us about the second policy. Yeah, then. Like, what's going on? What's the settlement? What, what, what's that? Well, um, I didn't even know anything was going on with it until I got this letter, 13 page letter about, there was a settlement, and they're giving me three options. Okay. Op- option number one is enhanced, reduced, paid-up benefit, and it um, it keeps the daily benefit amount the same. The elimination period is the same. Benefit period says NA, so I don't know what they mean because uh, my policy is for two, says two years. My current benefits are two years. Okay. And then it reduces the total lifetime benefit down to thirty, almost thirty-eight thousand dollars. From two hundred and three to thirty-eight thousand. But no more, yeah, no but more premiums. Okay. No more premium. Correct. Correct. And it's thirty-day wait. Okay, that's still option a 30 one. Thirty-day wait. Yeah. Option two is uh, they give me a cash cash payment of fifty-one hundred dollars. They keep the daily benefit at almost three hundred. Um, they take away the inflation benefit. It's still a thirty-day waiting, and uh, the benefit period again is NA, whatever they mean by that. Total lifetime benefit is almost fourteen thousand dollars, and no no annual premiums. And what's okay. option three? Option three is cash payment of forty-four hundred dollars. Daily benefit amount is reduced to a hundred dollars. Inflation benefit is taken away. The elimination period is 30 days. The benefit period is two years. The total lifetime benefit is 73000 and an annual premium of $1,140 a year. Uh, if, if you're my sister, my mother, I would say take option two, given your situation, because you have a long-term care policy that pays $124,000 a year that kicks in after 90 days. You've got this other one. It's only a two-year benefit, but it kicks in after 30 days. So you've got – that's a 60-day window, essentially, of additional insurance. You're, you're, you're not going to blow through $500 a day in expenses. That's right. So um, that, that 
the difference between the 30 day and the 60 day is about $18,000 of, of insurance benefit you'd receive. So if you do option two, they're going to give you five grand now, and they're going to give you 14,000 in benefits. So that's 19,000 that covers more than covers you. Yeah. In fact, um, I, you had, you had a writer on your husband's policy where yours kicked in when he died. Correct. Um, th- yes. One of the policies I no longer had to pay a premium on. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's I, like I, a, I, you won the lottery. I one. would have questioned whether you should have continued the second policy class action or not. Well, here we are though. And I um, would do option two. Well, my, my, uh, my thought there is my first policy where I don't have to pay the premium does not have, um, home care. It's just assisted care, nursing care and residential care. And this is the policy that has the home health care in it, which is, of course, where most which people policy want to be does? in their home. Um, the second the policy that they made this settlement on, that they're giving me all but, these options on. That's uh, the one that has the home health care in it. So if, if, you, if, you, if you came and said, hey, Scott, I want to talk to you about my finance, do some financial planning. Uh, do you think I need long-term care insurance? I'd say, no, you don't need long-term care insurance. You have $4 million. Just the interest, uh, if that's managed even pretty conservatively – the, the return on that should be more than enough to pay for any care you have for the rest of your life, whether you're 60 years old or 90 years old. And you take that. So basically you take that risk in house. So unless you want to live in some mansion and have multiple servants and, or, and the reality. The, yeah. And the reality is home care th- th- doesn't people don't stay in. If they've got home care, they mm-hmm. they normally don't stay in home care for very long. That's just the reality of the situation. You don't have, you know, you're not five years in your own home, just what we've seen where you've got home mm-hmm. in-home health care. So I agree with Scott. I take the option, option, two. option two. Option two. Yeah, option two. And for really good peace of mind, just leave it alone? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You've got yeah. a phenomenal – should you require – should you have, like, the worst thing is some sort of long-term dementia, right? Nobody wants that for a variety of reasons. But it's also a horrible thing from a financial standpoint. Because right. you can be in great health otherwise, and yet you can't take care of yourself. And it, right? I mean, that's, that's the worst situation. And the, the, your, your policy that's paid up from your, from your uh, husband will, will, will take care of that. Right. Right. You're well protected. Health care, yeah. You are well okay. protected. You are well protected. And I assume you have a, a living trust or a will in place and those sort of things. Yes, yes. Good. Yeah. All right, Martha. Yes. Um, I had a, another question sure. kind of off the wall from this. Okay. Is there any way, is there any organization or anybody that can figure out if your um, property taxes are being figured correctly? Oh, there, there are a number of them. Um, there are a number of them. What, what makes you question whether your property taxes are actually being figured out correctly? Well, I had a neighbor who was a realtor, and she ran all of the uh, houses on the street. And my property tax, everybody's went up 1% to 2%. Mine went up 5%. And you're in California. So, How long have you been in the house? Yes. Um, since uh, 08. Okay, it might have had a it, it can let's say you bought a house, let's just make it simple. Let's say you bought a house that was worth $100,000 and it drops in value to 80,000, right? They then so your property taxes are now going to be assessed at an $80,000 property, not a $100,000 property. But 5 years down the road, the, the house is worth 140,000. That uh that property can suddenly jump up to 100 and but it's basically the one and a quarter percent inflation from the time you bought it. So mm. you could have a 5% increase. That's just simply a catch up from a, de- a decreased property valuation from a previous year. And what year did you buy it? Oh, eight. Okay. In oh, eight. There you go. That makes sense. And I you can actually, you can appeal it directly to um, the, the County that you live in. Did you um, do any improvements on the house that required uh, permitting? No, the house is brand new when we bought it. So, okay. what'd you pay for it? Um, I believe almost seven hundred. 
And what's it worth today? Or what's the va- pres- uh, appraised value? Uh, well, not the appraised um, What's the county, the tax assessed value? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the assessed value. That's what I meant. Oh, that's a good question. I don't have that paperwork in front of me. Um, I had it appraised when my husband passed, and it appraised maybe maybe we didn't pay seven hundred, possibly six hundred thousand, and it was okay. appraised at eight hundred when he passed. Yeah, the the appraisal at, at his death was yeah, irrelevant. With that, um, it, it oh, is okay. for state, but not for taxes in the state of California. Um, you can ap- appeal it directly to the county. Uh, and there are other firms that actually do it where they take a percentage of uh, mm-hmm. the savings if they find it. It isn't really big in California because of Prop 13 versus states like Texas where there is a cottage industry because they reassess the value of the home every year. Yeah, there's no income taxes. So they got to get the money from somewhere. Yeah, it's a high yeah, property tax. And they're high property taxes. So you can. Uh, I'd go right to the county first and make them justify, ask them to justify, and then there's firms doing it. But it's not... Typically in California, it's not an issue. In other states where they reassess every year, it is a cottage industry. Hmm. So what kind of firms do that? Attorney firms or? Oh, no, they're, they're property assessment firms. I would run some. Mike, but look, my guess is that you're fine. If, if, it's, if it's, the value is much north of 725, then I'd deal with it. If it's not or it's around there, that's what a, a one and a quarter percent. I don't know if it's 1.2 or 1.25 percent. It's the statutory increase over a 15-year period. So that, that's, that's where it'd be on that. So appreciate the call, Martha. Wish you well. Actually, I looked at a firm. Um, my son worked for a firm as an intern in college that actually, uh, out of Texas, that did, that's all they did was property assessments to, um, to question what the taxable the value was. Um, yeah, because oftentimes someone just driving by your house. <laughs> Drive by your house, <laughs> or yeah, or using the some same government employee algorithms. Like, is, uh, the algorithms that show comps and those sort of things. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time we have uh, in the show. And um, anyway, if you don't if you don't subscribe to our newsletter, go to allworthfinancial.com. Sign up. I think you'll find it beneficial. Anyway, thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week. This has been Scott Hansen of Pat McLean. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.